We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 317 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jay Hilton, and I'm joined again by Domagoy Kostainschuk from Total Football Analysis and Johans Rondos. And Domagoy, while well, you were suffering through some sickness to help me discuss how Linares made Barca suffer in the Copa del Rey, I was also suffering through your last name. So for those wondering why we're giggling on our way, and it did take me four tries, but I finally got it. And thanks so much for being a trooper for both my mispronunciation and for dealing with your sickness today, Domagoy. No worries. I'm happy to be here, Dan. And don't worry about it. My surname has been the bane of my life, uh, you know, forever. So it's, it's all good. <laughs> Well, I'm hoping you didn't have to hear from Disclaimer Dan before you actually got to hear the two of us because we're hoping that no news broke in between me. It is 3 in the morning or 3.15 a.m. right now here on the East Coast. It is early morning where Domagoy is right now. So hopefully by the time I've gone to bed, woken up, edited, and put this in your ears, nothing has changed in regards to the injuries of Frankie DeYoung or Ron Araujo, or we're hoping at least give me a few hours for any big transfer <laughs> news today because we're basically going to talk about Linares, some of the uh, so Linares, rather, the 2-1 victory for Barca in the Copa del Rey. And then the talking points there, I think there's enough of them, and then some transfer news at the very end, but that'll be it for this show. So I think where we start with Linares today, I think Domagoy, you're pretty even keel as well, just like me. I want to start actually by giving credit to the third division side. They took advantage of a back line that was willing to be taken advantage of. You know, I guess I start by saying I, I'm not really calling any individual player out in particular. I know we're going to hit it pretty much hit everybody, but I don't know how right Alba actually looked in this match. I want to start there because I'm starting with the goal that Hugo Diaz scored to make it one nothing Linares. I think Alba, maybe it was just because of the third division opponent, the Copa del Rey. Maybe he was coming back from an absence. Maybe his terrific head of hair that has definitely always been there was weighing him down. But he and Puj letting that cross get off was inexcusable. And then Mingetha completely losing Hugo Diaz on the back post was also pretty inexcusable. It was, certainly was. I think it was kind of a rookie mistake and it should be happening, especially, I mean, this was a classic you know, cup match, early cup match. It's always difficult to squeeze past those lower division teams. Uh, it seems easy on paper, and then you get into the game, and suddenly you see it's a bad pitch, a bad, I don't know, weather, and the and the uh, the third division team is giving their all, and you're kind of just breezing through it, I guess. So I think it might be a mentality thing as well. It's it always is, but as Xavi said as well, 
uh, it's not always about the tactics because he, because he can give them all the best tactics in the world, but if they're not really full into it, if they're not committed 100%, it's not going to work. And I feel like Barca tactically, it, it was okay. They've, they've been creating chances. It was, uh, it was decent across the field, not, not across the pitch. The defensive line was, well, as shaky as ever, but uh, I feel like once they kind of get at the end of those chances. So once they start realizing and finishing those chances, I think things will start looking better. But, you know, as I've said, it's a it's a classic early cup match. Uh, it was to be expected. Even though Madrid struggled, they they won more comfortable than us, but they also struggled for a while. It, it didn't really seem that, that, you know, well for them as well. So I think I think it was as expected, mostly, yeah. Well, every other team in Spain, including Real Madrid, have been knocked out of the Copa del Rey more times than FC Barcelona, who have won that trophy 31 times. And you're right, even in recent seasons, Ibiza, when they were a third division side, now they're a second division side, Cornea last year. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's Barca B beat Linares by the same scoreline, I believe, earlier this season, a few months ago, in, in the same location. But Linares came out not with necessarily a game plan, but with intensity. They, I think mm. they actually put Barca on the back foot for the first five minutes, mm. and they deserved a goal. And I think it's okay to... I, I think we get caught between these two minds as Kool-Aid's, where you think that Barca should be winning every match because of the talent on the field and the 11 that they can put out there, even with all the COVID injuries. The 11 they can put out should still be should still win against a third division side. And you know what? At the end of the day, they did just that. They, they won did. by just enough. And actually, speaking of tactics, you're right. There's not a lot of tactics actually discussed because I think we are going player by player basically from this Linares game. And I think there are some things to talk about with each and every one. And I actually Mm -hmm. want to start with Alba because the one thing I have to say about Alba is regarding to those tactics. I think you saw in that first half in particular, as I said, I made the excuse, maybe he was coming back from his absence. It wasn't ready to go. I mean, again, maybe he was just in second gear because he is basically the starter without any backup to him. And so it was just a third division opponent. So he was only in second gear, but he was asked to cover a lot, lot of ground in that first half in particular, which is why after the goal, Garcia, you saw, was shifted to the left center back spot and asked mm-hmm. to bring the ball up with him. And what that did was that heightened that line of confrontation that we talk about so well, that Busquets and Garcia defend better when that line of confrontation is higher. And Alba also had less ground to cover after that back. So I, I think it was a direct correlation by once that change happened. And then, of course, at halftime, when the other changes were made with Frankie de Jong and PK and Dembele all coming on, obviously yeah. your talent is increased and magnified so much. And so Barcelona were able to take control of that game just by being being the superior team with superior talent at that point. Uh, it also helped out with, with, with Ferran Schuka, which I'll get to a, a bit later. Yeah, I think with Alba, it's very interesting to see. I mean, he was basically a winger, right, in the first half, especially. And to me, I'm not sure how much I like it because I feel like he needs much more space to run into. And when he starts from a deeper position, you kind of get that space. And Barca can then work better when he's you know, isolated on the other side and they switch the sides quickly and he gets to run into all that space. When he started so high, you know, initially starting so high, and then especially when he cut inside and tried to combine in tight spaces, it didn't really work. And also his crosses were kind of hit and miss. I didn't really, well, they, there were some good balls, don't get me wrong, but I feel like he, his crossing wasn't really consistent. And especially when he had to combine with tight, tight spaces, spaces that wasn't really 
it's not really his strength. And Xavi wants his wingers to be able to do that. If you look at Ilias or Dembele or even Jugla, when he was drifting wide and then cutting back inside, they have to operate in tight spaces. They have to be able to kind of beat their their markers one versus one. And the only way Alba does that if he is if he runs past them. So not really uh, excessive technical quality or dribbling skill. It's mostly just being there on pace and having the space to run into. So I'm not sure about the Alba as winger thing. And of course, he has a nice shot as well, but doesn't really always uh, utilize it or, or Barca don't really exploit it that much. So I'm not really convinced with that as of yet. Yeah, it is difficult. And I think when we go through each and every player, you're going to, I think we're going to do this thing where we're going to go, hey, does this game matter for this player? And then this game also doesn't matter for another player. And in the case of Alba, I say this game really doesn't matter for Jordi Alba. The ones and the referendums for him will come in the matches, we'll say, quote unquote, that truly matter when it comes down to, I mean, even next Wednesday against Real Madrid. We're going to actually probably judge Alba individually by that game a lot harsher than we did, obviously, for today. And it must be said, too, again, I'm jumping in here saying injuries to Ronald Araujo and Frankie de Jong. De Jong obviously came off. We find out after the game, potentially, that Araujo could be injured for months at a time. It's only been reported by one or two sources at this point, so we don't know how believable it is. That said, not a good sign that he came off at halftime. And I said, I was actually surprised. I said this in the match review. I was actually surprised that it was he and not Mingaitha and an injury actually makes a lot of sense with that. Mingaitha just wasn't ready for that game. However, that said, Mingaitha was helpful in ball retention in that second half. He was helpful to set, uh, get kind of set up in that midfield as well. And one of the reasons Mingaitha I thought looked better in the second, the second half was because once PK came on, that gave Mengetha a little bit of solidity at, the, solidity at the back, and that allowed him to combine well with, I mean, arguably the player of the match here, and that is Danny Alves, who mm-hmm. I think going over to the other flank from Alba, he played basically as an inverted second pivot when Barca had possession, and then he was a right winger defending. But especially in that second half, I mean, really good for Barcelona when Nico and De Jong were pushing forward. And we saw mm-hmm. a bit of what we had talked about with, with Xavi, where he wanted to play basically those four interior. Well, well, yeah, I guess two interiors and two pivots behind them. And Nico and De Jong were operating as those interiors. So, yeah, I mean, Alva's got even better. And it's incredible that five and a half years after his 391st game for Barcelona, he plays 392. And I think just like the Boca Juniors friendly, this game, again, for Alba, I don't know how much it matters. For Alves, it definitely was uh, showing to let you know that Xavi will be using him. And we can clearly see where he's going to be used and the fact that he's the most technically adept option at right back, more than Dest, more than Mgetha, more than Roberto if he's ever healthy. And so he is going to get some time, especially if Xavi, and we've, he, we've seen it, that he wants his right back to invert and be a part of that midfield buildup. Mm, it is very interesting to just to just to know how Daniel Alves is the best Barca right back since Daniel Alves. It's, it's pretty ridiculous at, at the same time. But yes, I, you are right. I agree. I, he was amazing on the night, and uh, and that role as an inverted right back, some sort of quasi midfielder. I'm not sure how to call it. Is really what suits him now, and that's what he's been transitioning to in the latter stages of his career. So he won't really be this marauding, overlapping fullback all the time. Sometimes, yes, he can do it, but he doesn't really have the legs to do it, you know, across the 90 minutes. And I feel like that that also puts a lot of emphasis on, on the interiors who have to make those runs, especially if you have a winger who in, inverts. Like Ilias, for example, he was always cutting inside. Even Dembele was cutting inside. So he kind of puts the emphasis on a midfielder to kind of drift wide and 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 ensure that there's there is width to the front line and there's always an option 
uh, on the right side as well. And then you have Alves in a sort of a deeper role. And then he can be the, the distributor or the creator or whatever. He can even, even be used just, just to make sure that there's superiority in the back in, in the midfield as well, which was also a very, very good thing. He would just slot next to Busquets and Linares, would just, they just weren't able to, to cope with it. Because you notice that there were so many times when our midfielders, Busquets especially, was they were receiving possession totally unmarked. There was no one around them because Barca did so well to kind of move the pieces around, stretch the pitch, uh, create space between the lines. And that that's what ultimately matters. With Alves, you don't really get the physical side anymore. And that's okay because he is intelligent on the ball. He, he moves intelligently. And you can use that part of his arsenal, which is, to be fair, his best, best quality after all. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. It will be a different... A different right back, a different approach to Barcelona, but that's that's okay. And it will also put a lot of emphasis on what kind of profiles you have up front and what kind of profiles you have as interiors uh, in Barca's midfield. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, well, before we go to the front two, at least, who started the game, plus Dembele, who came on, I do want to finish up talking about this midfield. We're going to do Puj in a second. But before <laughs> that, I want to just get your quick thoughts on Nico and Busquets. I thought they were good. I don't have really anything earth-shattering to say about either. Again, I think Nico is just puts that is a consistent performance from him. And that is now, I think, what we we're going to expect. And I also already want to begin to say, having just turned 20, 
a few days ago, I want to remind everybody, don't take how young Nico is at 20 and how important he's already seen. The fact that people have the, I want to say the gall to say, hey, is Nico going to put Frankie Dion on the bench? Just find that to be a compliment for Nico in this moment and take it that if this is the kind of, not even worse, but I think, I'd actually think he was one of Barca's better players in the contest than Busquets. Yeah. I, again, no, nothing groundbreaking. Maybe just a, a good showing, another good showing from PK and Busquets under Xavi. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, Nico and Busquets, they have been amazing. And that's the thing with Nico. He gives you consistently good performances, you know, week in, week out. That's the difference between him and someone like Puj. We'll, we'll touch upon him later. But, you know, it's, you know what you get from him and you'll get from the same things, the same good things every single time. And that's huge because he has a well-defined role on the Xavi and that role suits him perfectly he's exactly what Xavi wants from his midfielder and I think that's massive in terms of you know putting him above some other players in the pecking order of course there's Gavi and there's Pedri when he comes back but I think Nico I mean it goes without saying he has definitely has a future here yeah, well, it's interesting that there was some so much discourse about him being a future pivot. I mean, you still hear people say it. I mean, it still is possible on paper, but it is very interesting to me that if anyone who had seen him just, you know, briefly with the Juvenile Bay, where he barely spent any time because he went basically from the Cadet A up to the Juvenile A section and then to Barca B even a year early. But with Juvenile A and then the Cadet A prior to, and then a few appearances he made for Juvenil Bay, he was always playing basically the role he's playing for Xavi, which is actually really interesting to me. That as much as we saw him under Garcia Pimienta last year become this pivot, that he is becoming, as you said, one of those two interiors that Xavi wants to be pushing forward and to just be running, 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 running. And athletically, he is this workhorse that you're right. I think under a different manager and in a different system, Nico's worst performances. I mean, we saw his first performances this season when he debuted under Kuman. They weren't great. And I was concerned that he wasn't ready yet for the first, I think, two or three times that we saw him as he was coming back from that. I believe it was a stomach bug or whatever. It was a long-term stomach issue. And now under Xavi, though, in that system, you're right. Nico makes perfect sense to me as to where he fits. Yeah, exactly. That's that's actually the, the biggest point. He has the right profile. It's the same thing when people ask me uh, who has a better chance of making a debut, Mika Marmo or Comas, for example. And I say Marmo because he has the profile that Xavi wants in a team. So the same thing is with Nico in midfield. He simply has the skill set, the arsenal that Xavi loves to for his midfielders to have. And that that kind of makes him stand out from the rest. And Pooch struggles with that. Oh, I mean, that very same... Let's do the Pooch yeah. thing now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that same, very same thing is what Pooch doesn't have. It's, it's just simply he wants to operate or loves to operate in a slightly different manner. And if he wants to succeed under Xavi, he will have to alter that and just tweak his approach a bit. And I think we're starting to see it especially in the Mallorca game as well. I think there is some difference, some, some change in Pooch, but at the same time, he's not there just yet. I mean, it's very difficult when you don't play week in, week out. I get that. I get that people say that a lot. He doesn't have any continuity, so it's difficult for him to break through. I agree. But at the same time, everyone keeps asking, why does Pooch not play more? And I, th- I feel like every time we we can identify some of the, uh, the weaknesses that he has, everyone you know, has a meltdown because how can you, how can you even speak ill of Ricky Pooch? It's, it's, but it's kind of difficult at this point, if he doesn't make it on a Chavi, we can put all the agendas, all the personal stuff on the side. And we just have to accept it. That may be a quality issue at this point. 
I think that there's so much discourse and uh, annoying discourse, I should say, because uh, surrounding Ricky Pooj, not only because he's been around for a while, because there were those who I mean, I, I hyped him up as well, saying he was going to be I mean, he was really exciting under Kike Setien. And the fact of the matter is that I also hyped up Gabi and I also hyped up Nico. And the fact is, Pedri, too, that Pedri and Busquets and De Young and Gabi and Nico are all better than Ricky Pooj. And that's the only reason. And unfortunately, that does not create a continual, everlasting argument, right? That's not a great argument. Just to say that there are five midfielders in the squad that are better than him. That's why he's a squad player, six on the midfield depth chart. He's decent enough to play, but he's not overtaking anyone in front of him. And yet that, that's it. So I, I don't want to I don't I don't want to talk about Pooj, but I since I'm also the producer of the show, I think we are morally obligated to continue on in this Ricky Pooj talk because it's you know, and it's tough too. I think somebody and people have brought it's not just somebody, but many people have brought up the good point that when it comes to, and I'm gonna use Nico for example, because Nico plays game in and game out, his I've said this about PK too, because he's season and year in and year out that the performances start to tend to blend together. Where if I think of Nico three games ago or five games ago and try to compare it to today, I go, well, I mean, again, he generally puts in a very similar performance each and every time. And then sometimes against Zosasuna, he's scoring a goal coming off the bench and it's, it's something different. So you're asking, what did Xavi want him to do coming as a substitute or what did he do as a starter? For Pooj, generally comes on as a substitute, doesn't really play too much, and then started against Mallorca, had a pretty good performance. Again, barely put a step wrong and was bright, was fine. Again, didn't overtake any other five in front of him on the midfield depth chart, but definitely uh, earned some minutes. And then against Linares, again, I think for me, even I buy into the Hornets nest. I mean, I want to step in the Hornets nest a little bit and I feel myself overthinking it where I go, that performance didn't really make me feel like Xavi would look at it and he could even lose some trust in him. Like that's the kind of performance that you lose time. And then I'm going to zag one more time. I know I've been zigzagging in this whole thing. I'm going to zag one final time, Domagoy. And that's to say that statistically, he was 45 of 49 in his passing, meaning he only misplayed one more pass than he did against Mallorca. Had 59 touches in 45 minutes, one key pass. He did have nine giveaways, and some of those are pretty ugly, as we know. That's why people are saying he played poorly. He only found himself in two duels, losing one. He also missed a big chance by skying it to the moon. But so his stats are, aren't that terrible. It doesn't say he was that bad, but I mean, we lost the same game. The eye test said it wasn't his best. That's why he came on a halftime, and the team got better because he just wasn't up to being the engine that the team needed on the day, in that moment, he just couldn't do the job that Xavi needed for the team to be good. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is it that we're supposed to look at Linares as saying that might affect his future? Or is it one of those where if we're going to take Mallorca and we're going to take these, then both don't matter because he's still going to be the sixth midfield in the depth chart. doesn't matter. He'll still get his minutes. I feel like at this point, yes, you are right. He is way down the pecking order. And it's, it's difficult to judge him because he doesn't play that much. Okay, that's true. But at the same time, uh, the likes of Pedri and Gavi and even Nico, they they've been they've been showing so such good performances that it's difficult to put Pooch ahead of them. And I think that Pooch does a lot of things well. I have to say that I also am one of those people who love him, or and I also hyped him up in the past as well. And this topic of why doesn't he play more was very interesting to me. And I did a whole piece on that, just diving into his weaknesses to see why it, why is it so well? Is there an agenda against him or are there real weaknesses in his profile that needs to be ironed out? And the thing about Pooch is that he kind of lacks some of the basic stuff. So, for example, I, I, I said that he was very casual in possession because he was misplacing, misplacing some passes and people say, okay, but he had like 90 something percent passing accuracy. It doesn't really matter what the stats say because 
a pass can be a bad pass, even if it hits the target. So he sends the ball to his teammate. If that ball is very difficult to control or puts his teammate in a very, very difficult position, but it still hits the target, statistically, that's that's a successful pass. But is it really successful if if it puts his teammate in a difficult position or is difficult to control? I don't, I wouldn't really say so. And there were such instances uh, in the Mallorca game and and, and this game tonight uh, yesterday. So I think he just needs to be more switched on uh, in, in that regard. And then there's the positional, the um, his movement on the pitch. I think that looking at what Xavi wants his midfielders to do, I think Pooch is is struggling to adapt to it. He is a player who wants the ball at all times. We know that because he's he's been so good in the youth categories. He was always the best player on the pitch. He always had to have the ball. But now that may not really be beneficial for the team at all times. So sometimes he will have to move away from the ball. Sometimes he will have to make a, a dummy run just for the sake of it, not to get the ball, but just to get the marker away, for example, and stuff like that. That's that's something that he still doesn't really understand. Sometimes he will just slot next to Busquets, like a meter apart from Busquets, and he will stay there for an extended period of time, and that will do nothing for, for the team's structure. And then there's the defensive side. I, I understand that he's very eager and willing to press. He's willing to tackle. He will be the first one to charge forward and try and regain the ball. But there is also this discipline that he needs to learn. Sometimes, sometimes pressing is not the best thing to do. You have to time your press as well. You have to decide when to move in, when to drop deeper, when to cover for your teammate, when to be the one to, to press forward. So those things, I think there are some of the fundamental things that he still lacks, despite having obvious qualities like accelerating the play immensely. He's a great tempo accelerator. He can break lines easily. I think he has an eye for that deadly pass. By the same time, if he keeps doing those basic mistakes in possession, for example, just those casual balls that put his uh, teammates in the difficult positions, Xavi won't have that. He won't allow such a midfielder, despite his qualities, to be a starter in his team. I don't. I just don't see it. Yeah, and I think it's going to be up to Xavi. I thought Levan and I had spoken about earlier in the week. I thought that Puj pressed well in the system earlier against Mallorca, and his passing, I thought, was better against Mallorca. Yeah, I just thought he had a good performance. And then, again, it seems like everything or every progress that he had made under Xavi it, again, it seemed to all go by the wayside in 45 minutes today. So I think it is unfair. The final note would be that it's unfair for Pooj, not even for us to have talked about him again, 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 but it's unfair for Pooj that we're talking about him again, 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 because with Nico, there's something we come to expect that he winds up doing. With Gabi, there's something we come to expect that he winds up doing. Frankie Young, we can have those conversations that the cows come home. And I think for Busquets, there's nothing more to say. And with Pedri, he's been just injured. So there's really nothing to talk about with Pedri either. There's nothing new. So it leaves us to talk about Ricky Pooj, the sixth midfielder on the depth chart. Now, speaking of the depth chart, up top, this is the final thing we're going to talk about with Linares as we put this one to bed. The game winner was scored by Jukla. The tying goal was scored by Dembélé. And I said on the match review that Dembélé, his goal was the difference between the first division and the third division. That you blink and the ball's in the back of your net and Dembélé just has the ability to do that. And those players don't exist in the third division. Jukla, meanwhile, however, um, his goal, I think it was much more about the tactics that once Dembele came on the field and started attracting more attention. And once De Young came on and started making more runs from the middle of the park, Jukla was able to drift out wider to the left where he is more comfortable. I just thought that Jukla not really too comfortable as a traditional sole number nine with Elias playing so wide. And so once Jukla was able to pick the ball up and be kind of the left winger that he is more natural to and then fade into the middle, that just supports his game so much more. He started feeling himself a bit more and he scores that goal. So 
I mean, yeah, I mean, of the 31, and I want to say this about Jukla too, because people keep kind of pushing back because I'm so high on some other players that it's not that I'm not high on Jukla. It's that, I mean, I, I'm, he's just surprising everyone. He's saying that it's, I mean, what a moment he is because he was discarded by Espanyol and then for, well, he chose to come to Barcelona for more money, but the other point is that Espanyol wasn't giving him a chance in their first team. But Barcelona, because Jukla has always played for Catalan clubs of all different sizes, Barcelona have definitely seen this player before. They have seen him many, many times, and they passed on him many, many times before. I guarantee you, there's a good chance Girona did the same thing, meaning Man City might have had scouts looking at Jukla. Espanyol, again, passed him up for their first team. And there are other teams that likely saw him as well uh, in the years that he was with Espanyol, or prior to that, I believe he was with Dahmer, another one of the other, uh, Yapik Tabak, one of the other teams that are, are in the Catalan region. And so Jukla now, this year, as I said, I'm not going to redo the special versus useful thing again that I did from the earlier show in the week. But I think Jukla, with this performance again, if of the 31 or whatever it is players that have played for Xavi this season, I think he's in the 25 and maybe will remain in the 16 or so necessary ones, even when Torres is there, Ansu and Memphis are back, and Dibele if he sticks around. Just because he's a valuable piece of the puzzle. And to score three goals in five matches is a really, really good start. And I'm continuing to not hedge my bets, but I'm interested to see once defenses and, and again, smarter defenders or higher level defenders in the third division and Boca Juniors in a friendly. What happens when they start to do the scouting report on Jugla? What happens when they start to figure out where he wants to dribble, the spots he wants to get to, and they start to kind of react to that? Does Jugla have a huge or what happens when he's not scoring goals? Is he still going to look as, as useful? I think that once everyone's fit and the signings start coming in, I don't, I don't see him near the starting eleven. He could be a squad player. I think that at this point, yeah, as you said, it's he is useful. There's nothing really extraordinary about him, about his player profile. He's a utility player, and that that doesn't mean it's a it's a bad thing. I mean, he does so many things well. His movement is excellent, and you just you just see with Jugla, for example, with him, you see how Barca. A lack, lacking the basics. They would have been lacking the movement of the strikers or movement of the wingers so much that when someone like Jugla comes in, it's like, wow. I mean, he's not doing anything exceptional. I mean, he's good. I'm not trying to bash him on anything, but he's not really exceptional in any, any of those things that he does. But he does the, the basic things well. And sometimes when you, when you, especially when you lack options up front, when you lack the runners, when you lack the right profiles, this kind of thing comes as a breath of fresh air. And I feel like once everyone is fit, I don't, I don't really see him having a big role in the team. But for now, he's someone, someone that's worth keeping around because not only does he provide the goals, uh, he also provides the, the movement with the necessary profile. He is a utility player. That's what I, I would call him. Uh, this hardworking type of player who can kind of sneak in a goal or two. He can, he can drag, drag the markers away. He can make the necessary movement that you need your strikers to make. And I, I actually liked him even before he kind of started drifting wide, he was he was given a lot of freedom in his number nine role. He was able to drift wide when necessary. He was able to drop deep. And he was doing good work because he would open passing channels with Skeds or for Pooch to kind of access the front line, which is which is key. And that you don't get this sort of mobility and link up with someone like Luke de Jong, for example. So it's a massive difference having Jutla as nine as number nine or having Luke de Jong as number nine. And even though he's not exceptional he he still fits the puzzle and he still provides what Xavi wants his forward thinking players to provide so I, I like him 
I like him, but I don't think that he will have a big role once everyone's fit and once the, the transfers start coming in. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think that's right, actually. I agree with you that his movement in that first half was good. And you're right, that fundamental ability has to move and know where to put himself in the right directions. He is a smart player and, and again, a useful player in that way. But I just don't think he's as technical. I mean, it, it becomes because we can't understand nuance and nuance is completely dead in these conversations about these players. It always has to be and they are fighting for playing time, of course. So it becomes this player or that player. And we keep doing it over and over again, because even when I mentioned the forwards that are coming back, I didn't mention easy Abde either. So what we're talking about really for that, I, I guess, one, two, three, four, fifth attacker role, we're talking about Abde or Jukla. So now you have to get in your camp. You have to get in your tribe. You got to get your, your sticks. You got to get your pitchforks and you got to, you got to make sure you're, you're burning down the other village because you have to make sure you're in a camp. And that's unfair. I think to both these players, because Jukla and easy Abde are different players where in Xavi's system, Jukla can play much more in the middle. And he has the movement to do so. And Easy Abde is just a traditional winger. And so Jukla, I mean, as far as the number nine rotation, Jukla certainly could find himself still in the rotation with Torres and Memphis and Anza. I mean, there's so many guys who probably are wingers, but could play in the middle. And that's going to continue to be a problem unless Barcelona ever decides to get a proper number nine. But okay, last player to finally talk about is Elias Komash, who will likely, I think, go back to Barca B as the players I've been talking to are returning. But I don't think he's going back down to the Juvenil A level again. I think once you've played for the first team like he has in the featuring in the three games he has. I also, again, want to remind people that this is what, I mean, to me, that's what a high ceiling 17-year-old looks like. But 17-year-old, it's supposed to look like. He shows you some things. He can dribble the pants off the opponent. But it all does come in flashes. It comes in these little moments that you go, oh, what happens if he's doing that consistently? So if he does start putting it together on both ends a bit more through the second half of the season, he could already make the first team jump too. And I always have to want to be careful about overhyping too many kids. You know, I, it's, it's one of the things I do. But I mean, I don't know. I look at him and... He's really talented. I mean, he really is. He's really talented, man. You can see it in his boots. And I, I know I'll get accused of it and hyping too many up. But I mean, I'll just do the teenagers here. Ansu, Pedri, and Gabi. I mean, they're, they're just that good. But Elias does have the potential to join them someday. If he's just a... If he... We always talk about linear progression. But if he can get better from 17 to 18, from 18 to 19, from 19 to 20, he'll be at 20 where these guys are at 17 and 18 just because they're one in a generation there happens to be three one in a generation players there who are teenagers but yeah i mean alias I, I mean i really like him i and they're just things that he's got to figure out but again at 17 all the things he doesn't know are completely forgivable and i just it, it's unfair to jukla i don't give him the same room but jukla is also about to be 23 he's almost six years older so that's why i don't give him the same rope that i do Elias. yes exactly i mean jukla doesn't have anywhere near as high of a ceiling as Elias. Elias is just He's a definition of a raw talent. You can see that the, the, the ability is there, the technical quality is there, the eagerness is there, the youth is there, and that youth comes in two, uh, in two sides, right? It's, it's the raw talent, but at the same time, it's an inexperience, and sometimes he dribbles himself into that corner and, and just loses the ball. Uh, he just tries too much, to do too much at some points, and, and then he loses the ball, and that's normal for a 17-year-old. And I think that you are right. He is someone who has so much talent but we just have to remember that he is he may not be like first team ready he's not not just yet but he will get there if this progression as i said is linear and if he keeps developing and training and understanding the concept because that's the big thing with those wingers high-flying wingers like dembele for example as well they have the raw 
capacity, the talent, the ability, but it's also the thing that they have to understand how to pass the ball, when to pass the ball, when to make the run, how to run at the opponents. And at the moment, even Dembele is, is sometimes guilty of this because he just he just goes on his pure ability instead of just thinking, okay, I need to do this or do that to benefit the team, not just myself. Uh, and Elias needs to learn this as well. He needs to learn how to time his runs. He needs to learn when to dribble, when to pass. And then when once he does dribble a couple of players, when does he stop? And stuff like that. And then there's the, the, the final product as well. I mean, he needs to start scoring more goals, I would say. And and then if that comes with time, he definitely has he has a spot in the team. For sure. Those are the two big things. He has to put the ball in the back of the net and he has to, I mean, defend better. He has to figure out his defensive positioning. And again, for 17, both those things are totally fine. So if he starts banging in some goals now, again, the goal scoring thing is usually a natural thing as well. But I mean, he definitely does get the shots off and he does find an ability. That left foot is something special. So, all right, last segment of the show real quick. I don't know about real quick, because by the time, again, people hear this, then we probably have a million different news. I mean, I, you and I have probably been transferred out of the club at that point, or our loan is <laughs> somebody else has come in to, to, to host the show. But all right, the only big news that we've had since the last time at least I recorded the podcast was Morata, who we did talk about a plenty earlier in the week, apparently staying at Juventus. That has nothing to do with Barca or Atletico Madrid. But I don't, I don't know about this. I mean, I don't see Barca going back to the well for him when he goes back to Atletico Madrid over the summertime. I think this was merely a number nine and maybe the best one they could find on the market. And if he's not, I mean, if he was plan A, <laughs> just don't go with a plan B. Just just go ahead with Jukla and let's just live with live with what's there. To be completely honest with you, I haven't seen much of Morata lately, so I'm not going to comment too much. But I think I'm not too opposed to it if it's like a harmless loan deal until the summer and then it doesn't get in the way of some bigger signings that they have planned but, uh, but yeah, I, I would rather they go for a defender this this winter, if it's possible, of course, uh, because if with Ferran Torres coming in, he can cover m- multiple positions. So maybe it's not so necessary to to go for another striker as well, especially with Fati coming back as well and and Brathwaite as well coming back, if I'm not mistaken. So I think yep. th- there is some depth to that forward line now, and especially the, the uh, number nine position as well. So Morata... Uh, I think he could have been useful. I'm not denying that he has some qualities, but is he someone that we should really put our trust in and, and see as our standard number nine going forward? I just, I don't feel like it, no. <laughs> I don't think a center back would have come, but if Araujo is indeed out for an extended amount of time, a mm-hmm. center back will certainly be on the move. Who that is, I have no notion because again, we haven't really seen some of those names. The only other names you ever see linked are either uh, Christensen at Chelsea, who's going to be a free transfer over the summer somewhere, or he's going to renew with Chelsea. But again, they can't, that being Barcelona, cannot get him now for the performance he's having there. I mean, Delict is always thrown out there, but I mean, that's a joke as well. If Juventus aren't letting Morata leave, you think they're going to let Delict leave in January? I don't think so. But yeah, I mean, but as far as speaking of leaving, Barcelona still to register Ferran Torres. As much as you want to talk about other transfers, it doesn't matter. Ferran Torres cannot be renewed unless Dembele were to renew and lower his salary or be sold on, or more likely, Coutinho joins Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa, which was the high-flying rumor today, which seems like it has the most traction. It seems like even Xavi's comments, I said it in the top five two days ago, Xavi said that you know not all players can stay and he was referencing Coutinho and said Coutinho's name. And that tells you that Coutinho is on his way out. It's over. But 
the question is, Domagoy, though, a loan to get at least some of his wages off the books and kick the can down the road of him as a transfer? Are you comfortable with that? I mean, I just, is as something like going to buy him in, uh, in the summer? I'm not sure. I mean, it's it's just a feel like a temporary fix, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, these loan deals, they we we do have we do put those options to buy in those contracts, but more more or less those never really come to fruition. I mean, we've seen with Coutinho. Well, to be fair, at Bayern, he did have a, a good a good season with Bayern, but at the same time with Aston Villa, he could he could find himself again because he, he will be the centerpiece of, of that team. He will be the one around whom the, the whole play revolves and he will be the main, main star of the team. So maybe I think in a system that is completely suited towards him, that plays to his strengths and, and ensures that he has the best time possible, he can still, you know, find himself again. And I don't think that he's just suddenly lost all of his ability or talent. It's just that he's playing in a system that doesn't fit him. He's low in confidence. So, and all those things kind of pile up and then you get this, what we have at Barca. But maybe under Gerard, he he could he could find himself again. And then, fingers crossed, they maybe buy him. Yeah, I, I don't have much more to add about Coutinho. That's it. So I, I don't know if Coutinho is going to Aston Villa. If he is, you know, you hope that it's the Bayern Munich Coutinho and you hope that whatever the loan is, I mean, at least, at least they're going to have to pay 80% of his wages because, yeah. again, it's about getting his salary off the books on, for the last six months so you can register Ferran Torres and improve your team with the players that you've already bought and gone out for. And as Pierre Alemani said, that Ferran Torres was the right deal uh, and it just happened to be the wrong time, if you will. And that's why they're trying to have him registered by Sunday as he continues to get back from COVID, as he continues to get back from the foot injury. We will see. So last and uh, certainly not least topic today is TIFO did their sensible transfers Barcelona video, which mean about a hundred people in the last 24 hours have sent me as they do every January and summer and the summertime when TIFO comes out with it about, did I see the sensible transfer video? And so, yes, I did see it. And Ferran Torres was a great pick by them. They wound up, I mean, obviously with all the animations, they have to make that video prior to. So they had Ferran Torres as their number one pick as who Ferran Torres Barcelona should have, mm. should have signed. I mean, maybe they heard something else before. So good pick by them. But in the case of their backup, their number two in Amina Giri from Nice, a player that I've seen quite a few times going all the way back to his France U17 and Lyon days. I think he would only make sense uh, at, uh, talking about Gary here, if you're serious about selling Memphis already, which I don't think the club in January is willing to do because Gary, he's a left winger, center forward type, kind of like Ferran Jukla. And also Gary also has a history of injuries. And I think Barca have enough forward the history of injuries. So they, he is kind of a question mark for me. He turns 22 next month. So another really young player, but I think there is a limit to grabbing too many young players from outside the club and bringing them in. There's one thing for promoting within and doing all that stuff, but it's another for bringing in a ton of young players from outside. So at this point, I'd stick with Memphis and Jugla behind Ansu on the left. But if Barca do take their transfer advice from Tifo, which I don't know if they do, I think Geary could be gotten at a bargain, however, due to the French League's financial issues. That's been well-documented, maybe like 10 million. And so, I mean, I'd rather pay 10 million for Geary, though, who's a proven tested first-team player, than a Yusuf Demir, who with one more match will cost the club 10 million. So for 10 million transfer fee and low wages, I could talk myself into Geary pretty quickly too, if he signed up and it was, it was showed up at a club next week. Uh, would it, could it be uh, registered? Yeah. Again, that still remains to be seen, but if you're on the phone with Nice too, 
as you said, talking about center backs, they have a young guy named, what is it? John Claire Tadebo, I think maybe his name. Oh. <laughs> He's pretty cool me, so, yeah, yeah. If you're on the phone for Gary, you might as well ask about Tadebo and see if he will probably doesn't want to come back to the club. I think it's one club in the world that he's not coming back to. It, it might be FC Barcelona. But again, crazy <laughs> things happen in the football world, Domingo. Goy. Uh, well, the Tadibo case is so strange. It still is. I feel like he was he was supposed to be Barca's like delict alternative, and now and then something happened. We don't know what exactly happened. When he played, he was good. He he looked okay. He looked like someone who could potentially grow into that role and, and potentially be a big, a big uh play a big part of Barcelona. I, I still think that there's potential in him. I still think that he fits the profile. And to be fair, I haven't seen that much of him lately, so I'm not gonna comment too much. But uh from what I know, from what I know about him, he is the kind of player that Barca would would love to have actually. Yeah. So it's it is kind of ironic. Yeah. Oh. I, yeah, I mean, I, I unfortunately I got to give you the bad news that I have watched him three times and maybe it's just the three games I saw, but he was actually great in all three games that I watched him this season. So mm-hmm. not too great, but he also has admitted it was the wrong place at the wrong time. He said he was too young, yeah. too immature, not ready to just be on the fringes. And he just he, he thought he should be playing. And once he did play now, Schalke, I mean, if Barca were looking at Schalke when he was on loan there, I mean, he was hot and cold. He was good in that one match against Dortmund. He seemed to get up to the competition, but by and large, he was just part of a what was a mess at Schalke. And it wasn't just him. It was so many of those players in that team uh, that season didn't work out. But yeah, I mean, good for him to finally get things right. And yeah, hopefully he has a, a long and fruitful career. But anyway, that's it. Domagoy, I, it was a long and fruitful podcast for a guy as sick as you were today. So I, I thank you so much always for joining the show. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here and I've joined the talk. The talk. So make sure you follow Domagoy on Twitter. Again, just hit his name down there. He also has a sub stack. He's got plenty going on. He's also a regular on the podcast. So you'll hear more from him in the near future. I'm sure of it. So we're on Twitter too. And Instagram at the Barcelona on the pod, close Facebook group, Patreon, YouTube, you know where everything is here. If you're a regular listener to the show. So thanks so much for listening until next time. We'll talk to you soon. Barca. Barca.